0: Hi, it's Debbie. I'm so excited to tell you about our new sponsor, Uplift Desks. As a therapist, I sit a lot while I work. And if I sit all day, I feel pretty terrible by the end of the day. So I love to change things up by standing sometimes while I'm working at my computer. Whether I'm checking emails or preparing for my next podcast interview, a standing desk helps me stay alert and feel better at the end of the day. Uplift Desks has a terrific selection of standing desks and other office furniture to help you work better and live healthier. You can customize your configuration to your body and your workspace. They offer free shipping, free 30-day returns, and return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. And every desk purchase includes a free accessory. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the podcast. Go to upliftdesk.com slash POTC for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com slash P-O-T-C to get 5% off your entire order.
1: And so instead, what we can focus on is behaviors. And behavior in this context is basically something that someone else can see you do. So it's the things you do with your hands, your feet, your body um, that somebody else could check off that it happened or didn't happen, right? So going to the gym is a behavior. Whether you wanted to go to the gym, not a behavior. Did you enjoy being at the gym? Not a behavior. Right? Whether you put one foot in front of the other and walked into the gym and got onto a machine, that's a behavior. And when we focus on behavior, we're a lot more likely to succeed.
0: That was Dr. Dana Lee Bagley on Psychologists Off the Clock.
2: We are three clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting-edge and science-based
0: ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, co-author of Act Daily Journal and an upcoming book on Act for Burnout. I'm Dr. Yael Schonbrunn,
2: a Boston-based clinical psychologist, assistant professor at Brown University, and author of the book
3: Work, Parent, Thrive. And from coastal New England, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty, The Big Book of Act Metaphors, and the upcoming Imposter No More. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. We're proud to be sponsored by Praxis, the premier provider of continuing education training for mental health professionals. Right now, Praxis is offering
0: both virtual and in-person trainings, and for the virtual trainings, they have both live
3: and on-demand courses. Praxis is our go-to for evidence-based CE trainings, and they're especially known for their ACT trainings. Some of the best expert peer-reviewed ACT trainers offer courses with Praxis.
0: Check out their current offerings at PraxisCET.com, or you can link to them through our website, OffTheClockPsych.com, and you can get a discount on live training events if you use the code clock.
3: Have you ever had that experience where you've gotten cornered by that person on the airplane who just wants to talk your ear off? If you're anything like me, you may feel like you need to grin and be polite, but you should never feel that way when you're talking to your mental health provider. That is where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments online. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual visits, or both, whatever works for you. I love ZocDoc, and I know you will too. So if you want to check it out, go to ZocDoc.com slash P-O-T-C and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash P-O-T-C, ZocDoc.com slash P-O-T-C. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast. Okay, listeners, if you haven't tried Thrive Market yet, now is the time. Not only will you get 30% off your first order and a free $60 gift, you'll be supporting us in the podcast. I don't know about you, but I have found myself a lot busier lately, and mustering up the energy to schlep to the grocery store has been, well, challenging. I love that Thrive Market offers easy online ordering and the convenience of delivering our groceries straight to our door. No energy required for that. Thrive Market has also helped my family stick to our budget and health goals, too. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash POTC for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E slash P-O-T-C, thrivemarket.com slash P-O-T-C. And remember, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support us and the podcast.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Debbie. This holiday season, we at Psychologists Off the Clock decided to re-release an old favorite episode of ours. If you're like a lot of us around this time of year, the new year sometimes feels like a fresh start and can be a good time to take a look at some of our habits. So whether you want to exercise or sleep more or change some of your eating habits, cut back on alcohol or any other health related change, You know, it can be a challenge, and so we are happy to re-release this episode from a couple of years back with our friend, Dr. Dana Lee Bagley, on healthy habits. And this is an episode, I think, for those of us who might find it difficult and a bit unpleasant to make some changes that would probably be good for our health in the long run. Dana offers some helpful ideas from psychology for making those kinds of changes, even when it can be difficult to do so. So let me just say a few words about Dana Dr. Dana Lee Bagley is a registered clinical psychologist in Canada. For close to 15 years, she worked as a clinical health psychologist for medical, surgery, and cancer care units at a hospital, and she's taken this experience to open Dr. Lee Bagley and Associates, a virtual health psychology clinic, offering clinical interventions, training for healthcare providers, and educational resources on health-related topics. She holds an assistant professor appointment in the Department of Family Medicine and a cross-appointment in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience at Dalhouse University, an adjunct professor appointment in the Department of Industrial and Organizational Psychology at St. Mary's University. She's an internationally recognized trainer in acceptance and commitment therapy, and her book that we talk a lot about in the episode is called Healthy Habits Suck, How to Get Off the Couch and Live a Healthy Life Even if You Don't Want to. And so we hope you have a healthy and happy new year And Without further ado, here is the conversation with Dr. Dana Lee Bagley. The premise of the book here, Healthy Habits Suck, is that it's really for people who find these kind of healthy behaviors to be kind of unpleasant and hard. I love that you say basically that if you're the kind of person who loves to jump out of bed at 5 a.m. to run and then come back home and drink a green kale smoothie. This is probably not the book that you need. So yeah, so your book is really geared, I think, to those of us who find it a bit more challenging. Do you find it challenging yourself? Yes, I am not one of the people
1: who meditate daily and who love going to the gym. I'm the person that wakes up and thinks, Oh, crap, do I really have to go to the gym? So um, yeah, and I actually think that the people who don't enjoy exercise are actually probably more normal quote unquote, than the people who love it. And so it's really to help those people who I think are really the majority of people to live healthier lives.
0: Right, and you can see, I think as people, you know, if you look at the population as a whole and you look at the people who are coming in for medical treatment, especially later in life, that you can see that um, for many of us, this is a struggle and we're probably not really where we want to be. And your book really, what one other thing I love about it, it doesn't tell people what to do. So it's not a book about like, do this, don't do that. You do give some examples of things that people are working on, but I think your premise is that, you know, most of us probably have a good sense of what we think would be a healthy change, right? Um, But it's more about how to do it when it's hard and when we don't find it enjoyable. Yeah. And that's, you know, the uh, premise of the
1: book is really that most of us know already the things that we should be doing to be healthy. It's pretty rare, you know, for me to encounter someone and say, did you know that like fruits and vegetables are good for you? Like, You know, activity and exercise is healthy. I mean, these are not shocking things to people. Uh, And so what's really challenging is the how to actually how to do it and how to stick with it. And so the book really focuses on the how to do it rather than the what to do.
0: Yeah, the how to do it. And also, how to get past some of those challenges that make it different, which we'll talk a little bit about some of your strategies. But first, let's talk about why is it difficult? And I think in your book, you make a pretty compelling case that it's actually it makes some sense in terms of how we're wired as humans and our evolution. Can you speak a little bit about why? Why are these kind of healthy habits a challenge for so many of us?
1: Yeah. So, you know, over evolutionary time, humans have been shaped to um, seek pleasure, um, avoid pain, do the thing that takes the least amount of effort and live for today. And that's really, you know, what I refer to as our caveman brain. It's like the paleo mammalian brain uh, that was shaped during caveman times is all about survival. Uh, And those principles are really great to live by if you're a caveman. Right. So pain was usually associated with death. Um, we were getting the same amount of exercise like triathletes get nowadays. So if you had a chance to rest, you should totally rest. Uh, and our life expectancy was about 30. So you should really be focusing on things that were going to help you today. And so that our caveman brain is hardwired towards those principles. Healthy habits, on the other hand, require you basically to do the opposite. So you have to avoid pleasure. You shouldn't have that ice cream. You have to accept pain. You should go for a run. You should do the thing that takes the most amount of effort. You should take the stairs and not the elevator and you should live for the future. Don't you know that might kill you in 20 years? And so this is partly why healthy habits suck because they really violate how humans are
0: hardwired. Yeah, we've talked on the podcast. uh, We had an episode a while ago where we talked about how we are sort of in an environment that's a mismatch with our evolution, right? So we have all these calories available to us. We have the opportunity to be quite sedentary and still survive for a long time. And so it's like our environment is kind of working against what our bodies are designed for.
1: Yeah, we're just a mismatch with our modern world, right? So that caveman survival brain, awesome if you're a caveman not that um, helpful for our modern living.
0: That's right. Yeah. One of the shifts I think that your book brings into the field that may be a little bit different from traditional approaches is that it doesn't focus on weight loss per se as a goal. Instead, it focuses on healthy behaviors. And you're very deliberate about that. And you explain why. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about why setting behavioral goals instead of focusing on these sort of outcome goals like weight loss is, is better? Yeah,
1: so it's a normal and typical thing, both for individuals and healthcare providers to set outcomes the, as the goal. And that's things like weight, things like blood pressure, um, you know, your blood sugars, uh, those kinds of things are outcomes. And they're outcomes because they're influenced by a whole number of different things that we don't have one-to-one control over outcomes. And weight, in fact, is influenced by a huge number of factors, including things like your genetics, um, the neighborhood you live in, whether your mother was overweight when uh, she was pregnant, uh, how much sleep you get, the stress levels, how much cortisol you have in your body. And so it's influenced by a huge number of factors, many of which we have no control over. And how much you exercise and how much you eat is only one factor that influences weight. So even though we can influence weight, we don't have one-to-one control over it. And the problem with using these as goals is that because we don't have direct control, at some point, inevitably, your efforts will not get you to your goal. And so then we start to get um, frustrated because the things that we're doing, which are kind of sucking, are not getting us to our goal. And so it's a normal response to then just stop trying. Um, Even if you are successful at losing some weight, the way we understand goals in our culture is that once you get to a goal, then you stop doing the things that got you to the goal and you move on to the next goal. And of course, if you do that with weight, all the things that you're doing to help you lose weight, when you stop doing those behaviors, the weight comes back on. And so in either direction, whether it's working, whether you're losing weight or you're not losing weight, setting weight as the goal does not result in long-term change. And we really need sustained change over time to manage weight. The other thing that can happen is that when we are trying something to work towards a goal and it's not getting us there, we can develop learned helplessness, right? And that's the idea of that people just give up and they don't even bother trying. And so that's an even worse situation because then, you know, individuals just stop trying. They're not doing anything healthy and they don't even want to start trying again. So they really lose the motivation to keep going. And so instead, what we can focus on is behaviors and behavior in this context is basically something that someone else can see you do. So it's the things you do with your hands, your feet, your body um, that somebody else could check off that it happened or didn't happen. Right. So going to the gym is a behavior behavior. Whether you wanted to go to the gym, not a behavior. Did you enjoy being at the gym? Not a behavior, right? Whether you put one foot in front of the other and walked into the gym and got onto a machine, that's a behavior. And when we focus on behavior, we're a lot more likely to succeed, right? So if you try harder to go for a walk, you're a lot more likely to go for a walk. But if you try harder to lose weight, you can actually gain weight because the stress of trying to lose weight can increase the cortisol levels in your body and make it harder to lose weight. And so by focusing on behavior, we're picking something that people have way more control over. And they're likely to be more successful at and when we're successful at something we want to keep doing it. If we feel like we're failing at something, it's a normal natural response to just stop trying.
0: Yes. I mean, I think that's so true. There's something really hard to keep your motivation going and to keep, you know, there's just not that direct reinforcement. If you're focused on those outcomes, sometimes they're not happening the way you want them to. So you just give up versus if you can just be proud of yourself, like, Hey, today, you know, I ate that salad and I went for a walk check, you know, that that's, that really helps. It just feels good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it's a normal thing to focus on the outcomes. And it's, you know, part of the skill is to come back again and again and again to focusing on behavior instead of the outcomes right so you're the you may have gained weight this week, but did you do your healthy habits? so did you go for your walk or did you you know eat whole foods or drink lots of fluids if you did your part, then that's all that you control that's right, right? so the saying that I developed um I would end up saying to myself sometimes right is that my job is to do the healthy habits. what my body does with that is not up to me
4: yeah,
0: and there's some great research I think too about the effectiveness of that and also um Just about how those health behaviors, like say you don't lose a pound and maybe you're overweight or something like that, that you're still healthier, right? So your body is going to be healthier and it's going to allow you to be more active and doing things you want to be doing. So,
1: And that's the thing is that if you're picking healthy things to do um, that you'll be healthier regardless of the number on the scale. And we actually know that the number on the scale is not the best predictor of health. So that's not the best. It's an easy and cheap way to measure health, but it is not the most, uh, the best predictor of health. And so you can stay the exact same weight, but be much healthier. And another point that I make in the book is that I don't really care if you're healthy. What I care about is that you get to do the things that matter to you in life. And if you're healthier, if you have more muscles, if you have more cardiovascular health, you're more likely to be able to do the things you want to do in life.
0: Well, your work is really grounded in values. And I think sometimes people the health behaviors can feel like a should. Like I know, you know, my doctor told me I should exercise more, I should do this, but you dig much deeper than that. Can you talk a little bit about why values are so important and maybe even give an example of a time when you had to dig a little deeper to find one, maybe with a client?
1: Yeah, so the reason we focus on values instead of goals is that values are, you know, uh, what really matters to you, how you wanna show up in life, the kind of person that you wanna be. And these things tend to be things we want to be in the long term, right? So if I want to be an engaged parent, you know, chances are I'm on most days going to want to be that, right? I don't like wake up one day and be like, oh, yeah, done. Not going to bother being a parent anymore, right? So we Check. To, right, right, <laughs> exactly, right? We tend to want to keep doing these things over time. And so when we can link our healthy habits to these values, then they're more likely to promote Sustain change and long term change, because these are things that we want to keep doing, regardless of the number on the scale. And so what we're trying to do is to figure out how does this healthy habit help you be the person you want to be or live the life that matters to you. An example of that is like going to the gym. So some people, you know, are trying to convince themselves that they should have some me time, and they should focus on themselves and get themselves to the gym and prioritize themselves. And another way of looking at that is that when I go to the gym, that's actually helping me show up as the parent I wanna be. And so this isn't time away from parenting. This isn't time away from my child. This is actually another way I show up for my child. Because when I go to the gym, I'm in a better mood. I'm better able to focus and be patient and be engaged with him. And so I don't have to convince myself that I deserve me time. I just have to remind myself that this is one more way that I show up as the parent I wanna be. And if you're a parent, you've done a lot of crappy things in the service of being the parent you want to be. So going to the gym can be just one more crappy thing you do in the service of being the parent you want to be.
0: Yes, that's so true. You know, it's that sense of it can be meaningful without necessarily being, you know, fun every second or feeling happy every second. Yeah. And it makes it so that it's not like there's some golden rule out there saying you must do healthy habits. You know, you don't have to, if it's going to build the life you want to live, it's going to cause increase your quality of life. It's going to allow you to do things you want to be doing, then it's worthwhile.
1: And often people stop at, you know, the value of health. Like they're like, oh, well, I want to be healthy. And that's somehow supposed to be enough to motivate them. And, and, you know, health isn't really a value. It's a domain. It's an area of your life. And so you really want to go one step further and say, what is being healthy? How is being healthy going to help me? Right? So when you ask somebody, like, so, you know, I've worked with lots of people who were living with obesity, for example, and when we ask them, you know, why do you want to lose weight, they'll typically say something like, so I can have more energy, so I can live longer, so I can avoid some bad health outcome, right? And the next question that we don't ask, but need to is, and what are you going to do with those extra years of life on Earth? What are you going to do with that extra energy? What are you going to do with the extra health? How is that going to build a life that matters to you? Um, because we need to get to that second question, which is more about values, about what you're going to use your health for, as opposed to just stopping with health. And this is, you know, when we work with healthcare providers, for example, you know, working with somebody who has diabetes and Um, you'll say like, well, why do you want to manage your diabetes? And they'll say things like, well, you know, if I don't, I could go blind. And as as healthcare providers, we think, oh, good. They know that they could go blind. That's clearly enough. But it's actually not, right? You actually need to ask the next question was like, do you need to use your eyes for anything that matters to you in life? You know, somebody, I was talking to a patient who was like, yeah, I could get heart disease and have a heart attack if I don't manage my diabetes. (laughs) And I literally said, Is there anything you need your heart beating for? Does that matter to you? Like, why does it matter to be here on this planet? Why does it matter to keep being here and to have more years of life here? That kind of question will get you to values. And that can be highly motivating. And it's motivating not because it makes the behavior easier, but it makes it more worth it. And that's what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to make the healthy habits easier. We're trying to find a reason to make it worth it to do the crappy work of being healthy.
0: Well, I hope some healthcare providers are listening to this because I think that is huge because I think often it's that... You should do this. You should do that. And so this really makes it much more meaningful to people. And from there, once you have the values and you've established the why for this, you help people set these very specific, very behavioral goals. You have a couple of things in your book about SMART goals and the 90% rule. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what makes a successful behaviorally oriented goal? Yeah. So lots of people
1: talk about, you know, setting smart goals. And I've observed that lots of people actually have no idea what that means. And so (laughs) some of the, you know, tips in the book are about how do you actually make a smart goal, which is just a goal you're more likely to succeed at. So one of the principles is, um, so one of the principles is use a behavior instead of an outcome, which we've talked about already, right? Another one is the 90% rule. So only set a goal that you're 90% sure that you can do. Um, And that's again, so that you feel like you're being successful. So if you set the goal to go walking three times a week and you go twice, have you succeeded or failed?
4: Well, technically
1: you failed because you set the goal to go three times, right? If you set the goal to go once and you go twice, have you succeeded or failed? Well, now you've succeeded, right? And uh, success breeds success. So when we feel like we're succeeding at something, we wanna keep going. If we feel like we're failing at something, we wanna stop. That's just normal human response. So another uh, principle is the do instead goal. So lots of people will set don't do goals, right? I'm not going to eat chips late at night. I'm going to stop drinking pop. Uh, I'm not going to eat carbs anymore. Um, And it's normal to set these goals. But what happens is something in psychology called the thought suppression effect, which is that the more you try to not think about something, the more you think about it. And a really easy example to understand that is, you know, do not think about pink elephants. Don't imagine pink elephants. Don't think about pink elephants. No pink elephants. You know, people are now either thinking about pink elephants or they're trying really hard to not think about pink elephants. And I'm going to guess that pink elephants was not a hot topic before I mentioned it. It's right. But now that I've told you not to think about pink elephants, you're going to think about them a lot more than you have been in the last like six months. And so, again, this is a thought suppression effect. The more you try to not think about something, the more you think about it. And so when we set don't do goals, we're actually creating pink elephants. We're actually creating a situation where we're thinking about the thing more that we're not supposed to do. So the way to get around that is that you set a do instead goal. So what are you going to do instead of eating chips? What are you going to do instead of drinking pop? And it's also helpful to just think about you know adding things instead of taking away. So um, have a bowl of fruit or vegetables before before you have the chips, or have a big glass of water before you drink your pop. And in that way, um, you know, healthy things will start to sort of crowd out the unhealthy things. And we also will feel less deprived over time because we're thinking about adding things instead of taking things away.
0: Yeah, I find I've definitely experienced that myself. If I try to limit a certain thing, then I start to obsess about it. And not, <laughs> It's all I want. So it's just, it's kind of one of the psychological reasons why some extreme diets or quick fixes tend not to last because it's yeah. we're really setting ourselves up to get into a real struggle with it.
1: Yep. And, you know, often patients will ask, like, what's the best diet to lose weight? So from an empirical perspective, there's no diet that works better than other diets. And so really, the best diet, quote unquote, is the one that you're willing to do forever. Because whatever you do to lose weight, you're going to need to keep doing in the long term to keep the weight off. And so that's a better question. It's like, which one's going to help me lose weight? Which one are you willing to do for the next 5-10 years? Because that's, you know, the kind of commitment you actually need to not just lose the weight, but to keep it off. And that's usually the big struggle is the weight maintenance, not the weight loss.
0: Yeah. You know, these sort of realistic, smaller goals that you're likely to be successful, I think, over time, 90%. And over time, it gets a little easier and you can build on it, but it's much more sustainable. We've talked on the podcast before about this idea of tiny habits. It's like finding small behaviors you can engage in over time instead of saying, you know, I'm going to start exercising for 90 minutes, four times a week when you've been doing nothing. It's like, that's just your, that's unrealistic.
1: And that's what usually people do, right? Is they, they're going to change their whole life, right? And they're going to throw out all the junk food in their house and they're Mm -hmm. going to eat only whole foods. And, you know, most people will maybe last a week, usually only till Friday, you know, till the weekend, And then they stop and they don't bother trying again, right? So that kind of go big or go home actually is not an empirically supported way to change behaviors. Absolutely.
0: Um, And then the heart of your book is that you really get into working with those thoughts and emotions that show up that make it difficult to do this. Again, back to this idea that healthy habits are hard. They're often, you know, unpleasant for people. You would draw a lot from acceptance and commitment therapy and other approaches to help people in navigating those thoughts, those emotions that that are gonna get in your way and make it difficult. So and, and there's a lot about this in your book, but can you give us maybe a couple of examples of what to do when you're finding those those kind of thoughts and emotions are showing up? You
1: know, I often have a thought that shows up, which is you don't have time for that. Right. So I should go to the huh. gym you don't have time for that.
0: I should I laugh. To you don't have <laughs> I, time for that. Yeah, I, I, I laugh because this is a big one for me. Exactly. Yes. And yeah, I actually I, just I, had a time management expert on the podcast because this is right. such a chronic problem for me. Yes. Exactly.
1: So, you know, I feel certain I'm not the only one who has this thought. Yes. And so this idea is about what are you going to do with this thought that kind of gets you off track. And so rather than trying to get rid of the thought or to decide whether it's true or not or. Um, you know, to change it or to um, believe something else, our idea here is we're just trying to not get caught up in it. And one way to imagine this is to imagine that the thought is a football. And so your mind sends you this football, you know, if you picture a football and on the side of the football, it says, I don't have time for that, (laughs) right? And so this thought comes at you, and you have a choice here you can either run down the field with a football right which is yeah i totally don't have time for this i have to send that email i have to do this i haven't done that yet i better go do this i definitely don't have time to go to the gym that's kind of the running down the field with the football and there's another option right your mind sends you this football i don't have time for that and you can imagine just kind of putting the football down which we haven't gotten rid of the thought we haven't changed it we haven't convinced ourselves that we do have time We're just trying to put the football down and we're trying to put it down sort of long enough and repeatedly enough so that you can actually put one foot in front of the other and make your way to the gym. Right. So people often get caught up in. But it's true. Right. This other thought. But it's true. And the trickiness of that is that there's a lot of things we get caught up in that it's really hard to tell whether it's true or not. Do you really have time? Are you really too tired to go to the gym? I have no idea. And we could spend hours debating that and there's no like firm answer at the end of that. So the question, you know, that we talk about using instead is if you get caught up in this thought, if you run down the field with this football, is that going to move you towards the person you want to be or away? And if it's going to move you away, we're trying to put the football down. If it's going to move you towards, then run down the field with the football. All right, so this morning, I had a thought, get up, get dressed, go to work. And I ran down the field with that football, <laughs> and that is why I'm here. All right? So we're not yeah. trying to stop you from engaging in your thoughts. We just want people to also have the skill of being able to put the football down if that's moving them away from what matters to them.
0: I've used an example with some of my clients who are working on health behaviors of have, I could have that thought every step but to get to the gym of like, I don't feel like exercising. I don't feel like exercising. I'd rather be doing something else. And I can still have that thought with each step I take to get in my car, drive to the gym, check in, and you can basically not let those kind of thoughts run the show.
1: Yep. And then it's like a rinse and repeat thing, right? You don't put the football down once. Your mind's going to send you this football repeatedly. And you're just trying to put the football down more often than you did before, right? On the thoughts that are leading you away from who you want to be. That's right.
4: Do you want to support psychologists off the clock and take good care of your favorite pet at the same time? Whole Life Pet makes single ingredient treats, meal mixers, supplements, and hydrating snacks for both dogs and cats. Use promo code POTC to get 25% off your first order with free shipping over $50 at wholelifepet.com. My dogs, Tilly and Hazel, love the Tuscan Bistro Meal Mixer and the freeze-dried beef liver treats. The freeze-dried process is so cool. It retains up to 98% of the vitamins, minerals, and enzymes naturally occurring in food, which means no preservatives. Visit wholelifepet.com and use promo code POTC to get 25% off your first order with free shipping over $50. If you're unsure about what to try, you can fill out their short questionnaire by clicking the red Start Today button on the homepage. It will ask you a few questions and make custom product recommendations for your pets. Visit wholelifepet.com and use promo code POTC to get 25% off.
2: This episode is brought to you by Hyperice
0: some, you know, just not very fun emotions show up when we're doing, say, exercise or making these kind of choices. Like we can, you know, there's something so emotionally comforting about sitting on the couch with a bowl of ice cream. Yeah, How do you recommend absolutely. that people tackle those? Yeah. So
1: again, part of the messaging about that is that these so-called negative feelings, you know, like sadness, anger, you know, frustration, all of those things are actually a normal part of being a human. Right. And in fact, humans are much more hardwired towards the so called negative feelings than they are the so called positive feelings. You know, so I'm often telling my clients that happiness is a terrible life goal because Mm -hmm. it's not something that you can get to and stay with. And our culture has really done everyone a disservice by even suggesting that that's possible. So, you know, the first principle is that these feelings are useful, they're helpful, they are there for good reason. um, And they may not be giving you good advice for the modern context, right? So anger is a sign that there's something you don't like. Um, if there is another tribe coming at you and they have spears and they're trying to kill you, then anger showing up and saying, I don't like this would be very helpful. And then all of the feelings and thoughts that go along with anger, the activating feelings and the feeling justified would be very helpful to help you fight off the other tribe if you are a caveman. If you're feeling angry because you're stuck in traffic, right? then getting out of your car and beating up the other drivers is probably not going to help you. So the fact that the feeling showed up is actually totally normal and it's giving you relevant information, which is, I don't like this. Um, but the advice that your feelings give you may not be good advice. And so it's, you know, differentiating the fact that you can um, not follow the advice that your feelings can be there. You don't have to follow the advice. And when we fight less with our feelings, they're actually, less likely to take over. So the more we can actually make friends with our feelings, take care of them, make space for them, then the less likely they are actually to take over our lives.
0: I like that idea from dialectical behavior therapy of opposite action, where sometimes we sort of consciously choose to do the opposite of what our emotions are telling us after a stressful, hard day. My emotions want me to grab a glass of wine and go sit on the couch and zone out. But if I act the opposite to that, that actually might be better for my emotions in the long run, and it's taking me closer to my values and my goals.
1: Yep. And that's, again, you know, is following the advice of this feeling going to move you towards the things that matter to you or away? Most of the advice is actually quite appropriate for a short-term fix, right? So there's lots of people who come to my office who will say, I want to fix my relationship. I want to fix my dysfunctional relationship with food. And I'll say, what's your dysfunctional relationship with food? And they'll say, well, I use food to cope and I use it to make me feel better. And I always say, well, that's actually not dysfunctional. That's actually how you're hardwired. Like, you know, your brain, the reward centers of your brain light up better for sugar than they do for cocaine. So eating actually does make you feel better in the short term, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not actually um, that there's something wrong with you that you're using food to cope. That's exactly how humans are hardwired. It's just it's a very short term fix. And so usually what people actually mean is that they don't want that behavior to kind of take over their life, or it's not resulting in like the long term kind of things that they want for their life. Uh, But we're kind of validating that in the short term, those things actually do work, right? It's just in the long term, they don't work. And so we want you to have other options for how to deal with your feelings, you know, besides just the short term fixes.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of really great resources in your book, some other suggestions for how to work with thoughts and emotions, and also some, some sort of hands-on things like the choice point handout that people can take a look at to, to examine that idea of moving toward versus away from value. So I'd really encourage people who are wanting to work on some health behaviors to take a look at the resources that you have. Yeah, it's really
1: designed to be like an active book that you can use. Um, in fact, it's sort of set up that you kind of pick a healthy habit that you want to work on. And you could read like one chapter a week and just practice some of the skills that we talk about each week um, and sort of build your tool kit so that you have a number of different skills to try and work on this same healthy habit um, while you're reading the book. And so there's lots of exercises, there's audio files, there's Handouts that people can use um, to try and actually apply the content to their
0: own lives, and some practical suggestions, like some of the things to do as instead of you know yeah. the do behaviors that that might be helpful. Yeah. Now, relapse and setbacks setbacks they happen to all of us. That's just very common. What advice do you have for handling those bumps in the road that are inevitably going to come up for people if they're if they're in this for the long run? It's going to happen, right? so, so what do yeah. you recommend?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the first part is actually recognizing that, um, you know, I always just refer to it as like falling off the wagon. Right. And that's sort of like not doing your healthy habits Um, and that you will fall off the wagon. Right. If you're doing this long term, uh, life is going to get in the way. You're going to get sick. Your kid's going to get sick. There'll be a blizzard. The pool will be closed, like all kinds of things that impact whether we can do our healthy habits or not. So it's not really a question of if you will fall off the wagon, right? The better question is how quickly can you get back on? Because so we can undo a lot of the work that we've done by being off the wagon for a long time. And so our goal is just to try and get back on the wagon as quickly as possible, right? So does that take you until January 1st before you start up again? Does it take you until Monday morning? Or could it be like the next morning or the next meal or the next bite that you get back on track? And one of the key skills in getting back on track is actually self-compassion, right? So again, culturally, our society kind of says that if you're hard on yourself, then you're way more likely to change. And also our brains, caveman brain is uh, wired to be critical, to evaluate, to judge, which again is useful when you're a caveman. And so this automatic um, response of being judgmental shows up and being self-critical But we actually know from research that doesn't actually help people change. And it's when people feel um, supported and understood and when they are kind to themselves that that actually promotes long-term change. And so I review a number of different ways of practicing the skill of self-compassion, of being kind to yourself in the face of uh, personal failings or setbacks so that you can get back on the wagon faster.
0: That's great. Yeah. So noticing it, being self compassionate, and just getting right back on the wagon.
1: Yeah. And so we talk about, you know, identifying a behavior ahead of time that is kind of like a pivot behavior for you. That's like symbolic for you of now I'm getting back on track. And that could be something like going for a five minute walk or drinking a big glass of water or having an apple, something really simple, right, that you can do under almost any circumstances that kind of reminds you to get back on track. Um, that this is you pivoting right back on track and um, and then go back to your 90 percent rules. Right. You don't have to do everything all at once to get back on track. We're kind of thinking about how to ease yourself back on the wagon rather than, you know, an all or nothing thing. So go back to your 90 percent goals um, and ease yourself back on the wagon. Uh, and then you're way more likely
0: to get back on the wagon the next time you fall off. Yeah, that's great. Don't spend too much time just sitting there beating yourself over it. Just keep moving.
1: Yeah. Well, and people yeah. then kind of give up even more, right? They're like, well, yeah. I ate the piece of cake, I might as well have the entire cake. Right. Right? Or, you know, I blew my diet, I might as well eat the whole pizza, right? And, and that's a normal response that people have. And, uh, you know, again, then just further undermines all their efforts. And so we're trying to, you know, stop that by you know, the other part is that whatever you did to fall off the wagon was probably just you being a normal human was Mm -hmm. probably just you following your caveman mind. And if you're a caveman, it would have been excellent advice, right? So eating everything that you can eat when food is available is a great strategy for cave people, because food was not always available. So eating until the plate was, you know, empty, uh, eating past the point of being full was very effective. And I often say you know, those skinny girls in the magazines, they're not the ones that survive a long winter. They're not getting through a famine, right? So being able to put on weight is actually incredibly adaptive for humans in our historical context, right? We're just not meant to live in an environment where you can ingest an entire day's worth of calories in a single Starbucks cup, right? Um, So it's also to be kind to ourselves that our environment is also not supportive of healthy habits. It is entirely triggering for unhealthy habits. So whatever you did to fall off the wagon, it's probably just you being a normal human. Congratulations, right? (laughs) And then how can you be kind to yourself so that you can get back on the wagon as quickly as
0: possible? Yeah, I love that. It takes the blame off. You know, we on the podcast, we had an episode where we were... Um, talking about that that environmental construct and this idea that it's not your fault and it is your responsibility, but it allows for more self-compassion to think of it that way. And if you need more self-compassion inspiration, we have a number of episodes we've done on that topic. And also in in your book, you cover self-compassion because that's a skill. As well, right? (laughs) It is. Yeah. And so it's really common for
1: people to struggle to do it, right? They often, um, you know, some of the things that we say or think to ourselves, we would never say to another human, right? Um, And again, our caveman mind is really good at being self-critical, but it is a skill to recognize that you're being critical, um, which again, is just normal mind behavior and to actively choose to be compassionate to yourself instead. That's right.
0: So the end of your book was so moving. Actually, that was the part of your book that brought a little tear to my eyes, Dana, which is the part about quality of life and just why this matters and how this can be helpful to people. And can you speak a little bit about that to sort of close out the interview?
1: I just love that part. Right. So, I mean, part of, um, I sort of mentioned earlier that I don't really care if people are healthier. What I care about is that they're living meaningful and purposeful lives, and um, you know, working in a healthcare setting with people who are facing life-threatening illnesses, the healthcare system is really designed to um, give you longer life, but not necessarily more quality of life. And so, it's really about choosing things that matter to you. Sometimes that's not always um, picking the longer lifespan. Sometimes it's picking the higher quality of life. And I talk about the fact that when there's, you know, data about when physicians choose to die, they, or when they are faced with a terminal illness, they don't pick all these life-saving, um, these interventions that don't save people's lives, but just extend them by a few weeks. And what they do instead is they go home and they spend time with their families. And so it's okay to not always pick the healthy option. It is okay to choose quality of life. Um, and it's okay to make that decision consciously and deliberately, right, Um and it's really about living a meaningful, purposeful
3: life.
0: Yeah, that's what it's all about. And and I love, I mean, one example from your book that just really stuck with me was this idea of best weight, that it's not always the lowest weight that's best. So, for example, if you're saying to yourself, like, well, my family and friends are all getting together for a holiday party, but I'm not gonna go because there's too many calories there and it's gonna be too hard that's a huge you know your book also writes about social connection and i think that's a huge cost that may not be worth it and that, that you know we ultimately we do make those decisions and really the important thing to keep in mind is that having the best life you can for yourself whatever that looks like yeah.
1: right and so you know the concept of best weight is like the smallest number of calories you can ingest and still enjoy your life right so yeah. there are there's costs to managing weight um, in terms of you know, what you do and don't participate in, like um, amount of time you spend taking care of yourself. Now, I always think it's good to take care of yourself and to recognize that sometimes we make a trade off and we choose the unhealthy thing because that's something else that's really important to us about spending time with our friends or families. You know, I often would encounter patients who are trying to lose weight and their strategy was, you know, at at the holidays, for example, they'd be like, I'm not going to any Christmas parties. And, you know, that's a short term strategy, because I don't actually want you to live a life where you never have any social outings, because there's going to be food there, which again, is recognizing that the environment is not going to be conducive to healthy choices. And sometimes we make a trade off, right about uh, what our quality what we want our quality of life to be, rather than just extending our
0: lives. Right, because there's other things that matter to us too, and often making these steps in the direction of taking care of our health can really extend our quality of life and and yeah enable us to do these things.
1: Right, so the more you're taking care of yourself, the more you're able to do the things that matter to you and to make those choices. Right, so it's actually about kind of investing as much as possible in yourself so that you can cheat, (laughs) so (laughs) that you can take those moments where you uh, can choose, you know, the thing in the moment and not the long term term healthy outcome, because you've been choosing healthy options all the way up to that. So it actually gives you more room to kind of make these choices and still be able to do the things that matter to you.
0: That's right. Well, it's a very balanced approach. And I really appreciate that you bring that balanced perspective. into Yeah, I I think there's
1: a line in there about like, I don't want this book to be some new stick that you beat yourself with, right? So I remember working with clients who are like, well, Now that I've met with you, I really should be losing weight and I'm not because now I've met with an expert and I'm still not losing weight. And I was like, that was not at all the point of this, (laughs) right? So, you know, this is not meant to now be some other thing that you should be doing and you should know how to do, right? Let's go back to the being compassionate to ourselves that this
0: is actually really hard. It's really right. hard work. That's right. It's hard work. And I'm so appreciative, Dana, of your book. It's wonderful. I really recommend taking a look at it. I think it's, it's going to help a lot of people and the work that you're doing, you know, going into these medical settings. I know you do a lot of training and workshops for other providers. And so thank you. Yeah, well, thank you
1: so much for having me on your show so that I could, you know, talk about it to um, a variety of other people. That's really actually like one of my values, right, is about um, reach and accessibility. And uh, where I live, there are a lot of people who live in rural communities who never have access to, you know, the healthcare system to the same extent. And so that's really part of the values around writing the book was about um, getting it to people who wouldn't normally get to have access to this kind of empirically based, you know, um, psychologically sound ways of, of behavior change.
0: And how can people
2: find you online, Dana?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of um, ways they can find me on social media. So I have a web page, uh, which is drleebagley.com, which is dot ycom And they can also use that same handle on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, So the Twitter handle, for example, is D-R-L-E-E-B-A-G-G-L-E-Y. And I often am actually tweeting about healthy habits and tips for healthcare providers and um, often content related to the book and the kind of work that I do.
0: Well, thank you, Dana. And we'll link to your book and to your, your webpage on our show notes for today's episode. And thank you so much again for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having
2: me. Hey, psychologists off the clock listeners, I'm going to guess that if you are listening to this episode that you love to geek out about books in psychology. So if you are a fellow book nerd like Yale and I and all of the people around you are tired of you talking about books, then you can join us once a month to really take a deep dive into the the books that we're going to be reading together. So if you want to join us, all you have to do is send an email with the subject heading RSVP to offtheplockpsych at gmail.com, and we'll send you information for upcoming meetings of the book club. We hope to see you there.
0: Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon.
2: You can get more psychology tips by subscribing to our newsletter, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on social media by going to
3: our website at offtheclockpsych.com
2: slash merch. We'd like to thank our
3: strategic consultant, Michael Harold, our dissemination coordinator, Katie Rothfelder, and our editorial coordinator, Melissa Miller.
0: This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our website, offtheclockpsych.com.